The female unemployment rate in India, counting both the formal and informal economy, has stumbled from an already low 35% in 2005 to merely 26%. In this time, the economy has more than doubled in size and the number of working-age women has grown by a quarter to 470 million. Yet nearly 10 million women are out of the economy. Today, in episode 3 of Interlinked, I have with me Professor Ashwini Deshpande. A professor of economics at Ashoka University, Professor Deshpande has worked extensively in the broad field of economics of discrimination and recently on the topic of labor force participation in India. Welcome Professor. Before we begin talking about the underlying trends in data, I'd like to address something that you've mentioned previously as being critical in this debate regarding female employment and that is its measurement. So, what are the key issues with the current NSS methodology and the employment and employment survey their questionnaire and how has your research in West Bengal sought to tackle that? So, one thing you have to notice that in terms of measuring work, there has been no change in the current methodology. So, it's not as though the late, latest labor force survey measures work differently from before. Uh, and I don't think it's a problem related so, as much to NSS as to the nature of the work that women do in developing countries, particularly in South Asia. And that's what leads to the problem of measurement. So, the key thing to understand there is that a lot of the work that women do is unpaid either at home or near home or related to family enterprises or it may be in somebody else's enterprise but is also unpaid so when women work uh, as unpaid workers when they are asked about whether they are working especially if they are working on family enterprises they tend to think of it as a no because the question is always over and above your domestic duties are you working and if they are working in whether it's a family farm or livestock that the family is raising or any other family business as long as they think of this work as a part and parcel of their domestic responsibilities they would tend to answer no the second issue is that women when surveyors usually go to households to ask about the employment unemployment patterns of all household members often the person that they ask these questions to is the head of the household the woman very rarely will get a chance to come and talk to the interviewer themselves so even if hypothetically the women might have recognized it as work as in economically productive work they typically would not uh, admit that they are you know they don't get a chance to speak and because women working uh, in economical economic activities is seen as a marker of low status within the caste system because the higher you are in the caste system the greater are the taboos on women working as well as the male breadwinner model which is that i am the karta dharta i am the provider of the family so men are also reluctant to admit that their women are working so for all of these reasons often women who are engaged in economically productive work will not get counted as workers all right um professor i'd like to head to the background of the issue at hand what does the data show in india what does the nss data show what has been the trend of labor force participation rate uh since when has this decline been persistent and which sector rural or urban has been driving this decline so the one thing to note about indian data is that india historically in terms of recorded with all the caveats that i mentioned in terms of recorded labor force participation rates india has always had low labor force participation rates of women so at its peak after independence it's been 30% which is really 
not even one in three women working, which is not something that you see around you. So the measurement issue is subsist uh, is persistent. The last two decades have seen a very significant decline in even in these low rates, and that is not a question only of measurement. It's really a decline now whether women are uh, choosing not to participate in work or is do they want to participate in work but there is no work available or the nature of av availability of work has shifted these are questions that i analyze in terms of rural urban the bulk of the decline actually has happened in rural because rural women always had higher labor force participation rates compared to urban and the what is driving the decline is really the rural sector so one of the explanations for this decline is that there is a commensurate increase in women who are staying in educational setups, right? The education effect. So how much of this decline can be explained by this increase in educational attainment of women in India? So that's a little bit hard to uh, uh, disentangle. It is true that as populations become more educated, as men and women both are staying in school and colleges longer, over time you will first see a decline in labor force participation rates and then it starts to increase. So there is a belief that education, etc. have a U-shaped curve associated mm -hmm. with. So it's it has been argued that we are on the declining part of the U. It will okay. reach a bottom and then it will start rising again. Mm -hmm. Since we have not reached there yet, we don't know whether this is uh, 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 it's going to happen or not. Uh, in terms of the, for women, the relationship between education and work, there is a relationship to the extent that the education levels of women have risen over the two decades very rapidly, at the precise two decades where we've seen a fall in the labor force participation rate. So it could be the case that the kind of work that women are looking for after acquiring that level of education mm is not consistent with the kind of work that's available. Mm. So a woman who studied up to class 10 or class 12 is looking for work which utilizes her educational capabilities. And but that if the only okay. work that's available is this very bottom of the barrel, mm. you know, survivalist, uh, completely unskilled work, then she may not be willing to work for that. So yes, there is a relationship with education, uh, uh, of educa women's education with work, but it may not be exactly the U-shape that people believe that it is. Hmm. So that U-shape you're talking about is basically with levels of education. So Over illiterate time. women hmm. illiterate women tend to have high LFPRs, yes. but with increasing levels of education, primary, secondary, LFPR tends to fall. Fall. At least secondary literature says that, but is it applicable to India? LF so U-shape is really more about trends over time hmm. than at a particular cross-section. Okay. So the idea is that supposing you had India at, you know, 40 years ago, hmm. where the rates of education were, you know, where the proportion of illiterate women was very high, proportion of highly educated women was very low, right? So you think of that. Whereas today, when you see illiteracy has fallen, hmm. and so you would think that as, so think of the curve now over time. Hmm. So as illiteracy rates drop and as populations start to become a little, so labor force participation in an economy which has very high rates of illiteracy compared to an economy where illiteracy rates are lower, but people have, you know, primary or medium uh, level of education is going to be lower. But it so it hits a point where it hits the bottom of the U. Hmm. But then when education levels start to rise further, say in the developed economies, where, uh, you know, the average level of education of women is very high, hmm. it's at least 10 years of education, 12 hmm. years of education, if not more, hmm. then you find, in fact, that labor force participation rates of women in those economies are higher hmm. than so you have high labor force participation rates, uh, in very poor economies, because, you know, people have no 
option but to work. Uh, so everybody is engaged in economically productive work or high high proportions are engaged. And you look at labor force participation rates in uh, highly developed economies, at both ends you find high rates of labor mm. force participation. And as economies go through a transition, you find more for the same age group because a greater proportion of those women who are in that age group are now in school and college than before, okay. uh, you do find that uh, they, their labor force participation rates are lower. Now, research also suggests that there is some sort of an income effect at play, especially in India, where rising household incomes lead to falling LFPR, especially rising male wages in households. Yeah. So is that an effect that we see? So, well, the interesting thing about India is that actually, uh, if you look at the, in terms of NSS data, if you look mm -hmm. at the richest uh, households, in fact, labor force participation rates of women is higher in in those so it there is a u shape again hmm. where it, you find high rates of participation at the lower end hmm. of the consumption expenditure hmm. uh, distribution and at the higher end of the consumption hmm. expenditure distribution hmm. and they they are lower in the middle so if the income effect was explaining everything you would not have seen that u that, shape that it would have been a decline yeah all right so i'd be moving on to your research here uh, something really interesting that you mentioned is that while traditional cultural factors are to blame for keeping women out of the workforce, a major catalyst of the falling LFPR that is ignored in contemporary research is the mere paucity of time in women's hands, what is called the poverty in time endowment, because women spend a majority of time doing domestic chores. So I want to know what you mean when you say we need to reimagine social and cultural norms. So the domestic chores uh, constraint doesn't explain the decline. It's not as though women are spending more time doing domestic chores now than before, right? So, th so there are two issues. One is the persistently low level and yeah. the other is the decline. decline. So before this, I talked about the decline a little bit. Uh, before I move to the domestic chores, I just want to make one more point about the decline, which is that in uh, my West Bengal paper doesn't deal with decline, yeah, yeah, yeah. De deals with the persistence. Hmm. But one more thing to remember about the decline is that uh, in terms of when, when NSS or any other questionnaire asks women about the whether they work in economically productive acti activities, they use this majority time criterion, hmm. which is that were you working for the majority of the time in the last year? Hmm. If not, was there any stretch of 30 days in which you were economically active. Hmm. So if it's a majority time criterion, that's clear enough and you say yes or no, depending on what the answer is. But when you come to the 30-day requirement, if the availability of work has become very fragmented and very, uh, uh, you know, uh, sporadic, then women go in and out of the labor force. So they might work for 15 days hmm. on a construction site and then not work. Hmm. Then they work for 10 days, you know, because some farm, farmer, large farmer needed extra you know, working hands or whatever. So as the availability of work becomes more fragmented, women might work several times in the year for less than 30 days, but not for, major for, major for majority, majority, majority of the time in the year. So, they, so it's also is a factor that we have to explain when we talk about the decline, is that the nature of availability of work in rural areas has become more fragmented and much more casual and much more sporadic. So women are going in and out of the labor force several times in the year. But because they don't ful fulfill the majority time criterion and they don't fulfill the 30 days at a stretch criterion, they get recorded as non-workers. So that's about the decline. Coming now to the persistently low level. 
and the role of domestic chores in it. What we show in our research, this is work I've done jointly with Naila Kabir at the London School of Economics. What we show in our research is that, uh, you know, education, marriage, uh, you know, so prob probability of, so this is all about probability of women working. Mm. That's what we calculate. Mm. And so, Currently, married women have the lowest probability of working relative to never married or widowed, divorced. single, divorced, etc. Yeah. So all of those uh, rural uh, women, uh, you know, in our actually in our sample, the difference between rural and urban is not very sharp. But in India, urban women have a lower probability of working than rural, etc. So there are all of these issues. Uh, what we show is that controlling for all of these factors, every additional domestic chore, for example, uh, washing clothes, uh, cooking, uh, cleaning dishes, and th things like that. So we have five domestic chores. Every additional domestic chore lowers the probability of women working. And this is after accounting for all the other factors that are conventionally accounted for in the labor force literature. And wh why is that? Because in South Asia, particularly, the norm, the cultural norm about sharing of housework is very, very amongst the most unequal in the world. So the proportion of time that women spend on domestic chores is more than 10 times the proportion of time that men spend on domestic chores. And people talk about the cultural norm of religious constraints or, you know, veiling the parda or the burqa and, and all of that. And they are insignificant in your analysis. We say that, yes, there are cultural factors, but it's not the cultural factors that people mm -hmm. think of when they think of cultural factors. Mm -hmm. It's not conservative religious norms, etc. All those might matter. But the real cultural norm that uh, prevents women from entering the labor force is really this completely disproportionate sharing of household chores. Also, can a takeaway from this discussion be that traditional cultural norms can be targeted by policy or government interventions? However, this is so micro a level, how domestic chores are shared between men and women, that there's been less policy action in its regard. Yes and no. So there are many ways in which policy can actually tackle that. For example, the uh, you know there are all these ad campaigns and propaganda campaigns that are continuously we keep hearing them on television and you know on uh, internet on the movie screens. Beti bachao, beti padao, swachh bharat abhiyan, etc., etc. Why can if the government is going to lead by example, why can it not say ki ghar ka kam ek saath barabar baatna? You know, sharing equal sharing of it's not it's not emasculating to be doing housework, mm. you know, to a small extent, I see certain ads by, you know, um, by companies mm. that are that are talking about the importance of equal sharing of housework, mm. especially for men. Why can't we not socialize boys when they are raised, being raised? Mm. You know, so there are lots of micro level changes that governments can do. So, you know, Beti Bachao, Beti Padhao is not only because we want the girls to live because they can cook make rotis. You know, you see a lot of ads for Beti mm. Bachao, Beti Padhao, where, where we are showing a little girl who's making rotis. So why should we not kill the girl child? Because she can make rotis. Mm. No, that is not why we should be not killing mm. the girl child. Right. And yeah. so the fact that it is completely all right and it is not uh, a travesty of any cultural norm to, uh, uh, to uh, make boys and men responsible for domestic chores, just as the girls and the women are, you know, that's a message that can spread. You can show role models, you can change the content of textbooks, mm. you know, um, for example, the campaign for cooking gas. Mm. 
what you can emphasize in that is that the reason you want cooking gas in every home first it has implications for women's health because indoor air pollution goes down but it also frees, frees up, up women's time. time yes you know to um, uh, to do other things mm. so why not focus on the lpg campaign and link it up to the value of women's labor mm. as opposed to oh it will make women it will make it easier for women to cook mm. you know why not have ad campaigns which show mm. a woman reading a newspaper going to work and the husband is going and you know mm. so it right now it's like joru ka gulam hai mm. ki are he's not man enough yes. that he's doing housework mm. you know why why focus like that mm. so i think there are policy implications uh, that can be drawn from that mm. conclusion so i have two questions first on the previous point um you spoke about the labor demand side right so uh has there been a shift in the nature of jobs available so maybe there is there isn't a cause that is gendered but the effect is gendered effect is gendered so That's for instance the agricultural sector there's been a movement in jobs from the agricultural sector the share of agriculture sector in the gdp has consistently consistently been falling and there has been a move to the service sector and this shift has is not gendered but the effect has been severely on women because 1990s was a time where there was this huge feminization of agriculture so the worst hit other women so could that be you absolutely hit the nail on the head which is that the nature of work availability the uh, employers may not be actively thinking about its active so they're not out to discriminate against women they may or may not be i don't want to give them the benefit mm-hmm. of doubt so they could be discriminatory or they may not be discriminatory but as you ra- very correctly say the effect of all this is gendered and whenever there is a question of so for example the auto sector you know right now many industries are facing slowdown and it's a it's a phenomenon observed the world over that whenever the economies are in recession and when companies or enterprises start to uh, lay off workers the first acts always finds on the most vulnerable which is often the women and also because all economies work with this male breadwinner mm. model and so you mm. feel okay if i have to let go of a few workers mm. let, let those be women rather than men and the question of as i said you as you very correctly said rural uh, you know the share of agriculture is going mm. down so what was you know what happens to the women who were mm. working in agriculture there is virtually no creation of non farm rural employment so women have to em- migrate to the cities which they are doing but what about women who stay back because their husbands have migrated to the city mm. what work can they do you mm. know so you have to create rural non farm employment Hmm. as a, the share of agriculture is uh, and that's where something that china for example did very successfully hmm. which is rural enterprises or uh, in very small towns enterprises that employed a lot of women and produced you know these small consumer goods and provided basic services etc uh, so absolutely right and this also makes me think about what about technological disruptions have they positively impacted women or have they made women the most vulnerable out of all social groups that is an empirical question you know and so you could see you could think of uh, uh, situations where technology could actually enable women to yeah. enter the labor force more because now for example you can work remotely yeah right so if you in, even if you even if you say okay the domestic chores norm is going to take some time to shift so at the moment let's assume that to be a constant and that women have to do the household work but technology can actually enable women to combine productive work with their care responsibilities or domestic chores responsibilities but you then need to emphasize the value of women's work you know you cannot uh, uh, think of it as not a problem and then expect employers to then be more sensitive so if employers are more sensitive to the question of gender 
equality governments are more sensitive to the question of gender equality trade unions are more mm-hmm. sensitive to so every every segment of the economy needs mm-hmm. to be sensitive to the question of gender equality then technology could be a force that will actually uh, help women so whether it does or not i think it's an empirical question depends on what the nature of technology is but more importantly how is it utilized by the employers for generating uh, employment opportunities Lastly professor you mentioned the current times and the policies that the government can undertake this is a question about the larger political trends that we're all witnessing around the world um even though the lfpr has been falling for quite some time um its recent decline has been commensurately supplemented by a hypermasculization of the labor force and a rise in ultranationalism so in a state like this how do you see the mobility of women being affected That's a difficult question uh, uh and I agree with you that there is a rise of misogyny not just in India but everywhere and it's a kind of a people are proud to be misogynistic it's uh, you know violence against women whether the violence has increased or whether women are reporting it more you do see an increase in reported violence and all of those are factors that uh, might deter women from even if opportunities were available they might deter women from entering the labor force but at the same time if you look at patterns of migration in india you know uh, women are actually migrating huge distances not just for marriage but leaving you know for example if you look at even the city of delhi you see women coming from all parts of india in a very you know under very exploitative very risky conditions looking for work many of them are fortunate to find some work but several of them are not and they get you know uh sucked into the informal economy into an uh, economy of crime and uh, prostitution etc maybe that's not what they were aiming for but the point being is that women are not prepared to be victims of the situation you know they show huge amounts of grit and determination and courage but the existence of misogyny and the pardoning of misogyny by pretty much everybody uh just stacks the odds against them even more you know it just makes it that much harder um and that it's not just this government or that government or this company mm-hmm. or that company it's a culture yeah. which takes pride in um you know treating women as uh, uh second class citizens objects of sexual desire not people with intelligent opinions you know and whether you see that in social media how women are told versus how men are uh, attacked when they express an opinion which is co- contrary to the majority again not just in india everywhere and so the that's a challenge i think that's a challenge and but but uh, what is heartening is that women are uh, re- you know responding and yeah. refusing to be meek you know either spectators or uh, you know meet meek sufferers of that situation yeah. on that note I'd like to end this podcast and thank professor for her time and valuable insights. Thank you so much for inviting me.